following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. The Holy Spirit is in the Christmas story, believe it or not, uh, but uh, he's not an obvious character, and it's kind of uh, speaks of the nature and role of the Holy Spirit, very much behind the scenes, working very silently but powerfully. And uh, we, we won't be able to look at all the passages this morning uh, in the Christmas story where the Holy Spirit shows up, but he's, he's often there uh, working and, and ministering. So it's, uh, we're going to look at a number of scriptures, but we'll read the, the Christmas story from Luke, uh, starting in verse 26, um, 26 to 45, if you want to follow with, uh, as I read. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be called Uh, the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel of the Lord departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country to the town of Judah to a town of Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby in her womb leaped. And as Elizabeth and Elizabeth was, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who, be- she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. <clears throat> um, so as we look at the uh, Christmas story, as I said, we've looked at, you know, God so loved the world that the Father gave. That was the Father's role, was in giving his Son. Uh, we looked last week that God so loved the world that, that Jesus, as the Son of God, came and came to earth and took on the form of human flesh. 
And I want to look this morning that uh, the role of the Spirit is that God so loved the world that the Spirit came and stayed and is the abiding presence of God with us. Um, so how do we see the role of the Spirit in Jesus' birth and life? And, and what, is, uh, what is his role as, uh, as the Christmas story unfolds? Uh, we're going to look at that a little bit. We're, we're just going to focus really in on one piece of it. There's several things that the Holy Spirit does in relation to Jesus' um, birth and, and the characters. But I want to uh, look at how it relates to Jesus and then how it relates to a couple of the characters. And the, what I hope to come out of this in the end is that um, we'll see how the Holy Spirit wants to work in our life as well. That he has a role and a purpose. And of course... Uh, it is the Holy Spirit who stayed, right? The Holy Spirit's been poured out at Pentecost as a result of what Jesus did. And it's the Holy Spirit who's primarily in us and working through us. But what does that mean? Right? What does it really mean for the Holy Spirit to be in us? What is his role or purpose in our life? Um, we're going to look through lots of scriptures. So hang on, grab your Bibles, get your, get your phones out, and get ready to speed dial in these verses, okay? Okay. Um, uh, First of all, we see that the, the Spirit was the power behind Jesus' life, right? Uh, he, he comes, Jesus comes as the Spirit-empowered Savior. And it really begins not really in, in Matthew or, or Luke, but way back in Isaiah. Uh, we already read one great quote this morning from Isaiah looking at the promised one and what he would do. I want to look at another one in Isaiah 42. Uh, verse 1 and then verses 6 and 7. Uh, and notice as, as Isaiah, and this is just one of many Old Testament passages that talk about the, the coming Savior. Right? And, and in Isaiah's language, it's talking about the coming servant of God who would br bring salvation to Israel. But notice the language that it uses to describe how this coming one would do his ministry. Verse 42 of Isaiah says, uh, chapter 42, verse 1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. Right, the, the anointed servant of God who would bring salvation. He says, I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. And I'm going to skip a few verses. In, it. in verse 6, the Lord addresses this servant directly, this one who's anointed with the spirit. And he describes his ministry. He says, I am the Lord, I have called you... In righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. So Isaiah envisions and God reveals that he's going to send a Savior who will do incredible ministry of bringing light to the darkness, of setting prisoners free, of liberating those who are oppressed and held captive. And how will he do that ministry? Well, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It will be by the Spirit who is upon him that it will, he will do these great works. And of course, in the Christmas story, we see uh, that operating in Jesus' life, right? So even before Jesus was born, at his very conception, how is it that Jesus is conceived? Well, it is through the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We read Luke. Let me read a couple of verses out of Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus took place this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, 
Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So um, we talked a little bit about the incarnation last week. And I'm sure after my brilliant sermon on the Incarnation, you're all going, oh, I completely understand it now, right? Well, if you do, you can explain it to me because I still don't get the Incarnation, right? How, how did God, infinite and eternal, you know, what did it mean for him to, to lay aside his divinity without losing it in any way and take on human form and life? I don't know, right? It's, it's a mind-boggling concept. But what's interesting is that it's, Whatever it all means, uh, this work was done through the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit was the one that, that put together divine, holy God, the Son of God, with human flesh and created this incarnate being. Uh, somebody shared last Sunday after the service who started out as a couple cells, right? How? Right? How? How is my mind boggling? But that's what the Holy Spirit did in Mary. And Jesus came to be through the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of God most high upon her. Uh, and beyond that, we see Jesus as he grows and matures, uh, really living out this, this ministry in this life in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see it at his baptism in Matthew 3:16 and 17. It says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Now, here's a a good theological question. Was the Spirit in and upon Jesus before his baptism? Did did, did Jesus possess the Holy Spirit before that moment? What do you think, yes or no? Yes? No? Not sure? Well, surely... Uh, the Holy Spirit never left Jesus, right? And surely the Holy Spirit was upon Jesus all of his days. But what was significant in his baptism as Jesus was about to launch into his public ministry is that there was this visible display or sign of the Holy Spirit coming. It was a witness and a testimony that exactly what Isaiah had prophesied would happen in Jesus, that he was about to launch into ministry and this ministry would be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And it's significant that Jesus um, visibly uh, displayed this this coming, this anointing of the Holy Spirit in his baptism. And then in Luke chapter 4, Jesus uh, identifies this power in his own life this way. It says in Luke chapter 4, he says, And and Jesus, um, the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to Jesus, And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, Isaiah 58. uh, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus lays out his ministry. He says, I'm coming to preach good news to give sight to the blinds, to set the captives free. And how am I going to do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is significant because Jesus was God, right? 
The second person of the Trinity, he's the Son of God. He existed eternally before uh, with God the Father. But, but Jesus does not exercise his power on earth of his own power, right? He, he laid that aside. And again, parts of the incarnation I don't grasp, right? What does it mean for him to empty himself, to lay that aside, to still be fully God, but to choose to elect not to use those powers, right? So when Jesus walked on water and when he raised the dead, when he gave sight to the blind, it wasn't in the power of the second person of the Trinity, right? No, he's doing it in the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in the flesh is depending on the Spirit to empower his ministry. Uh, and that's true all the way to his life. Uh, it, it was through to, in, in the cross. And what's, what's amazing is even in the resurrection, who is it that raised Jesus to, to, uh, up to life? Well, it's interesting if we looked at all the scriptures, it's actually all the Trinity are involved in this, right? The Father is seen raising, Jesus is seen uh, coming to life, and, and the Holy Spirit also is in that work. And it says in Romans 8:11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Right? So even in the resurrection, it's the Holy Spirit is, is there bringing Jesus back to life. All right, so, so what's the picture of all this blitz of scripture? Well, what I want you to get is this. Um, from conception to the resurrection, right, from the earliest possible millisecond that Jesus came to earth all the way up until his resurrection and ascension, all of it was done in the power of the, uh, and, and the ministration of the Holy Spirit. Right? Uh, and we, we lose that sometimes you know, when we think about Jesus being, you know, well, he's, of course he was God, of course he could do all that stuff. But, but no, Jesus did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Jesus dependent on the Holy Spirit to have a successful life and to carry out the life and ministry God gave him. So here's the thing. If, um, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit right, to be effective, to live life, how much more do you and I need the Holy Spirit? Right? I mean, I'm thinking a lot, right? A lot. If Jesus was... Um, so focused that he's going, I, I cannot do ministry. I can't be successful. This is not going to work until I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. How much more do you and I need the Holy Spirit to live the life that God has called us to and to be effective in what he is sending, out to, sending us, us out to do for him? Right? I'm thinking I, I need the Holy Spirit more than I need you know, my post-toasties in the morning, my breakfast, my lunch, right? I need the Holy Spirit more than I need the air that I breathe. Okay, this is how much I need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit even more than coffee, right? Which for me, is like the drug of choice. Uh, I, I could not get up and preach without coffee because uh, I would not be awake, right? But even more than that, I need the Holy Spirit. We desperately need him in our life. And praise God that as Jesus died on the cross and he gave his life as atonement comes to us, says Jesus uh, after the cross, says, I must leave so that uh, when I leave, I can send to you the Holy Spirit. 
Right, so we have that promise that the Holy Spirit, uh, as we receive Christ, as he does that regenerating work in us, the Holy Spirit fills us. Right? It fills us. Right? He's poured out in our life. Um, and just as Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit, so you and I have been given the Holy Spirit to live life and do ministry. It is a promise that we can count on. Um, but... but Let's focus on just a little more for a minute and talk about what is it the Holy Spirit does for us? Why? And we get that we're weak. We get that we're sinful. We get that you know, life is hard for us. And so you know, if Jesus needed the Holy Spirit, surely we do. But, but specifically, what is it the Holy Spirit is, is going to do for us? Right? What, what is it that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he's going to do in us or with us that's going to make life work better for us? Um, Recently, in the past, well, recently, as in like the last hundred years, in the big scale of history, I know that's not recently, but uh, in the past century, there's been a, a new interest in the Holy Spirit through the Pentecostal and Charismatic movements. Um, and so some people are, are very tuned into the Holy Spirit. And uh, the focus of much of that, that um, emphasis is that we would experience God's presence. And certainly that is true. And, uh, and we do experience God's presence through the Spirit. But, but in the Christmas story, we see something else, uh, something which I believe is even more important and significant than, than simply experiencing God uh, in some emotional way. So let's look at a couple more scriptures uh, and see, as the Holy Spirit's working uh, in the Christmas story, what his mission is right, and how that relates to us. So uh, let's look at, um, at Luke chapter 1, 39 to 45. Again, the, the story of, of, of Mary. But we're going we're gonna to focus and zero in on, on Elizabeth, right? So let's, uh, let's read this verse again, uh, Luke 1, 39. In those days Mary arose. So this is after she had got the news that, that she was with child by the Holy Spirit. And she, she went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth, who was her relative, right? So the, the angel said, Elizabeth's with child, and uh, Mary's got this news that she can't share with anyone. Uh, she, she hasn't even shared it with Joseph yet. She doesn't share it until she comes back with her visit. But she needs to talk to somebody who can identify with her. And so she goes, well, Aunt Elizabeth is pregnant, and it was kind of a miracle for her. She'll get this, right? She'll be able to identify with what I'm going through. So she rushes to share this news with Elizabeth. And notice what happens. Um, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, so Mary comes in the door and she greets her, the baby leaped in her womb, okay, in Elizabeth's womb. And Elizabeth was what? It was filled with the Holy Spirit. Right? Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Um, now this, this is amazing. Okay, and now just picture the scene here. So, so Mary comes in uh, and, and greets Elizabeth. You know, she says, which, you know what the greeting was? If it's in Thai, it is what? Swadi, right? Swadi. But in, in Hebrew, it's what? 
Shalom. Shalom. Right? And at those words, uh, the, the, the baby leaps, which, by the way, we know from, uh, from Zechariah. I didn't read this part, but we know that uh, the angel told Zechariah that John would have the Holy Spirit upon him from conception. Right? So, so you've got this little baby who's already filled with the Holy Spirit. Figure that one out. I don't even, can't even, I don't know what that means. But, but uh, when, when Mary comes, who's carrying Jesus... Uh, the spirit in John bears witness with his spirit, and John responds. Right in the womb, he responds to Jesus coming. And then on top of that, Mary uh, Elizabeth Elizabeth receives the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit reveals to her who this is. And she says the most amazing, stunning words. Uh, they're mind-boggling. She says, "And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me?" that the mother of my Lord should come to me. Uh, now get what Elizabeth says here. Right? She says, uh, you know, how, how blessed am I that the mother of my God should come visit me. Now, how many of you would say that? <laughs> right? Um, maybe if you're like seriously Catholic and you're really into Mary a lot, you know, you would have some framework for that. But for a Jewish person who believed God was transcendent and spirit above and beyond this world, who was the uncaused cause, right? The, the, the being who is without uh, a mom, right? Uh, for her to say, the, you know, who is, how blessed am I that the mother of my God would show up and visit me? Okay, this is just actually heresy uh, in any other context or setting. Where would that come from, right? And it's hard for us to probably grasp. I mean, this, this is, without, in any other context, this would be blasphemy, all right? For, for Elizabeth to say this, it would be all out blasphemy. Where does she get such a crazy idea? Well, the Holy Spirit's come upon her, and the Holy Spirit has revealed to her uh, things that her mind could not even grasp, Right? that Mary is carrying the Savior of the world who is God, right? Um, what I want to emphasize is this is such a, a bizarre out there thing that there's no way in her own human wisdom or reasoning she would ever come up with an idea like that. Right? It is revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. And she has insights into what's going on with Mary that Mary doesn't even know or can't even grasp. Right? It's revealed by the Holy Spirit. Another story, real quick. Uh, and this is the, the most forgotten and overlooked character in the Christmas story. Right? He gets no songs. Uh, he gets, he's, he's never part of the, of the children's Christmas program ever. Right? Um, He's, he's not even in the nativity set. I've never seen a nativity set with this character. And yet the wise men make the cut, right? The wise men are in the children's program. The wise men are in the nativity. And we know that they show up two years later, right? Two years, they make the cut. But this guy does not make the cut. Does anybody know who I'm talking about? Who? Not Zechariah. Well, Zechariah, he, he, he doesn't, he's not in the nativity, but no, that, not Zechariah. Simeon. Simeon, right? You guys know who Simeon is? You're like, Simeon? What's a Simeon? I've never heard of Simeon, right? Um, Luke chapter 225 to 32. 
this, this takes place 30 days after Jesus' birth, right? Because uh, Mary and Joseph have to bring Jesus in to present him at the temple and to do the, what's required of the law, the, the uh, ritual cleansing ceremony for Mary. Uh, so 30 days after the birth, way before the wise men. Right, let's read. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. That is the salvation, the coming salvation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah, the promised one. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all the people a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Um, again, here's a guy who's filled with the Holy Spirit, anointed by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit reveals to him, by way of, first by way of promise, that he would not die until he saw God's salvation come. Right? And then on the day when Mary and Joseph were about to present uh, Jesus at the temple, he is directed, led by the Holy Spirit, to the temple and to this couple. And when, when, when they come carrying Jesus... The Holy Spirit reveals to him, this is it. This is the one. This is the salvation I have promised you. Uh, and, and so he goes and he blesses them and he, he, he picks up Jesus and he, he's excited because he knows that God has kept his promise. But here again, uh, notice uh, something that uh, Simeon says. It's beyond what you would expect. And he says this, he says, this salvation will be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Right? To the Gentiles. Now here's a guy who spent his whole life looking for the salvation of Israel. He was a serious, devout Jew who was looking for salvation for the Messiah as the king of, uh, who'd come uh, uh, from David on David's throne who would reestablish Israel. Right? Uh, the messianic focus for Jewish people in Jesus' day was very Jewish. It was very focused on Israel. But what does he say? He says, this salvation has come as a light for the Gentiles. Where would, where would that come from? Now, of course, it does say that in the Old Testament, and, and if, he was, if he probably was a student of Scripture, could have known that. Uh, but I think it's more than that. I think the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that Jesus comes not just for the Jews, and the salvation that he's coming as the Messiah, the Christ, is not just for Israel but it is for uh, the nations that they would know salvation. Um, whatever the case, it's clear that, that Simeon gets to meet Jesus, the Messiah, because of the direct revealing work of the Holy Spirit. And you see, one of the great roles and ministries of the Holy Spirit, and we could go through those other accounts, we, we just don't have time to look at, but what the Holy Spirit does is he... Um, reveals Jesus to people. He gives them understanding to see who Jesus is. Uh, and these two people specifically were given radical insight into the nature of Jesus being in ministry. Um, uh, Elizabeth, that, that this was God, this was the incarnate God. 
seeming that his salvation was coming not only to, to the Jews, but to the nations. Um, and and, and that, is, that is one of the primary ministries of the Holy Spirit, to lead and direct people to Jesus, to see who he is. Um, and the disciples were living proof that, that it's, re, it's necessary, right? That without the illuminating uh, work of the Holy Spirit, illuminating a really big word just simply means to shine light on something. That the Holy Spirit's role is to shine the light of truth upon the, the, the darkened minds of people so that they can see who Jesus is. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. And the disciples are a great ex- example of this. Uh, who was the best teacher who ever lived and walked on the face of the earth? Anybody? One of our Sunday school kids, you can answer this. Who was the greatest teacher who ever came and lived and walked on the earth? Jesus. Right? Jesus. Every, we know this, right? Jesus. You will never have a better teacher. You will never teach better than Jesus. Right? And so Jesus taught the disciples over and over again that he was coming in order to die and save them. You know what? As good a teacher as Jesus was, he failed, right? Because no matter how many times he told them that, every time the disciples did not get it. So here you've got the best teacher in the world, empowered by the Holy Spirit, ministering in the very power of God, and Jesus could not convince them why he came, right? What had to happen? Well, Pentecost had to happen, right? The Holy Spirit had to be poured out, and it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came that the disciples really finally got it. And they finally, their eyes were open, and they finally understood Jesus' mission and, and, the, and the purpose of the cross. Right? Uh, it wasn't until the Holy Spirit came that they could fully grasp and understand all that Jesus taught. And so, so here's the thing. You and I, as human beings, are in urgent need of God's revelation. Our brains... No matter how smart you are, how intellectual you are, how well studied and educated you are, do not have the capacity or the ability to grasp truth, right? to grasp truth, to understand Scripture, to, to know uh, what the Bible teaches, who God is and what his mission is about. Um, now, a little quick history lesson. About 200 years ago, the Holy Spirit was largely lost to the church. Now, not really lost. Okay, the Holy Spirit's never left. But uh, the Holy Spirit took very much a backseat role beginning about 200 years ago. Uh, and um, up to, I think, to this day, the Holy Spirit is not largely emphasized in our life and our church and our ministries. Now, he is part of our theology. Like So if you can come up to afterwards, you can point out how we do have... We do talk about the Holy Spirit in our, in our theology. But in a very practical sense, I believe that for most of us, the Holy Spirit is just like this vague thing out there that it's like, well, you know, he's the third person of the Trinity that doesn't have a name and is invisible, and I just don't really know what he does, right? I mean, if you're honest, isn't that true? And that's how it is for me a lot, right? It's like, he's there, and somehow he's in me, and I don't really know what it means, right? Well, uh, the shift where the Holy Spirit kind of took this vague, obscure, lost part in our Christian life started a couple hundred years ago 
up and up until 200 years ago, it was in the West. I'm talking here in the West, Europe and, and, and the Americas. Um, people believe that you could only know truth through revelation, right? That God revealed himself in, in creation and in his word and in the person of Christ and that you could only know anything about anything by means of God's direct revelation. Uh, and so up, up until 200 years ago, uh, Scripture and, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the role of revelation was huge in people's lives. And it's how they made decisions. It's how they understood their world. It was how you looked at the universe, right, based on God's special revelation. But that all changed about uh, in, in the mid-1700s, early 1800s with the Enlightenment and with guys like Kant and Spinoza who, who said, so he, he said, you know, look, you guys are being, you human beings are being sold short on this whole thing because you're brighter than that. You, you, don't, you don't need revelation because you have a brain. And your brain is quite gifted and talented and smart. And you can figure this out on your own. All you need to do is look at nature and look at science and apply the rules of observation. And you're bright enough to figure it out on your own. You don't need revelation. And other people took up the banner and uh, took it even a few steps further and began saying that not only do you not need revelation, but the reality is that the church and, and all that it's tried to tell you is just they're, they're just doing that to control you. right? And the church is just this corrupt institution, which it was. Uh, and they made the charge that they're just using this, uh, this, this revelation in a way to control, control and manipulate people. And they said, actually, re revelation is false, right? It's not what you think it is. The Bible is not what you think it is. Uh, God is not who you, who you think he is. And so you need to move away from revelation, and you need to rely on reason, right? Use your brain. Figure it out for yourself. And guys came along like Thomas Paine, who wrote a book, The Age of Reason, made this thinking very popular, and people started to take up this thing and said, well, that's right. I'm no, I'm no dummy. I'm educated. I can read. I can think. I can figure this out for myself. And so slowly by little, uh, reason began to take root in Western culture, and to this day, it reigns supreme. Uh, and if you ask people uh, in, in the world, how do you know something is true? Uh, and, and they'll give you their rational explanations. And you may see that they're extremely irrational, but it doesn't matter. If they think it's rational and reasonable, it's proof that it's true. Uh, we could take some examples of that, but uh, you just, just go to Facebook, okay? Every other post will be an example of somebody telling you why their opinion is true because they think it's rational, right? It doesn't matter what debate, and it's, I, I love this, because this, this is what happens, right? When reason rules and it becomes the basis for your opinion, all opinions now can be true, even though on Facebook they're quite opposite, right? Because, well, I think my explanation is reasonable and logical, and so if you think your explanation is reason and, reasonable and logical, well, then that's your truth, right? Well, the church has reacted to this, um, and, and uh, from the age of reason on, the, 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 the church has fought for, Orthodox Christians have fought for Scripture as, as God's revelation. It is the basis of truth for us. And, and the church has fought these battles and has, uh, continues to fight the battle that the Scripture is God's word, 
and it's the basis for our understanding. But the, the philosophy of, of, of the Enlightenment and the Age of Reason had its impact on the church. And this is how it had its impact. Uh, we, we hold the scripture as inspired and relevant and as, as God's authoritative revelation. But we've believed the message of the, uh, of the Enlightenment that the way we figure out what the Bible says is by our intellect, right? We're smart enough to figure this out, right? We just need the right Bible study methods, the right principles of hermeneutics, and we can know what the Bible says. Now, how do I know this is true? Well, I know this is true because from every discipleship program I've ever seen, up through every Bible college curriculum, up through seminary, this is how we teach how you know stuff. Right? You take the Bible and you apply the right methods and mechanics of Bible study and of hermeneutics and you can know what the Bible says. Right? Now, and, and, and I, am I right? Is this right? Where is the Holy Spirit in this? Well, he's not necessary. You don't need the Holy Spirit because you're smart enough on your own to figure this out. You just got to have the right Bible study method tools. Right? And if you don't figure it out, it's because you're, you're missing a tool. Right, but uh, in my in my theological education, in all eight years of it, took me eight years to get through five years of school. Um, all the books I've read, all the discipleship programs, right? We have left out the Holy Spirit, right? Sure, we need revelation, but we've said, yeah, all the revelation we need is in the Bible, and you're bright enough to figure it out. Um, Christmas story would tell us differently, right? Was Elizabeth bright enough to figure it out? No, no. Was it in Scripture? Yes, it was in Scripture. But she would never have grasped it right, if it wasn't for the revealing work of the Holy Spirit. Was Simeon bright enough to figure it out? Well, no, right? He needed the revealing work of the Holy Spirit, right, to know who Jesus was. Here's this crowd of people at the temple. This couple comes with the baby. How did he know it was Jesus? Only by the revealing work of the Holy Spirit, right? And uh, throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, um, this principle is reinforced, right? You cannot know truth. You cannot understand Scripture. You cannot know Jesus, you cannot understand his will and purpose for your life unless the Holy Spirit turns on the light for you and helps you see. Right? Um, now, so, so, so am I saying that we should kick out reason and it should only be revelation? No. Right? God did give you a brain and he does want you to use it. Right? Am I saying that uh, Bible study methods and hermeneutic principles are from the devil? No, right? No, no, please use them, all right? Use them. Use your brain. Think, right? You should all learn Greek and Hebrew, you know. Jessica can teach you, right? Uh, you, should, you should study. You should develop your skills, right? Because it, it does help, right? And God speaks through our brain. But what I'm saying is this, is that it's, it's not reason or revelation, but it is this, that it is always revelation over reason, Right? Revelation must be the supreme uh, and, and chief way that we understand God revealing his truth to us. Right? 
The Holy Spirit needs to come first, not last. Uh, and we need to sense that my brain can never do what it, what, what it needs to do unless the Holy Spirit is equipping me with illumination, with insight, with revelation, so that I can really know Jesus. Um, and I believe this has largely been lost in the modern church. Now, of course, there's the inevitable people say, yeah, well, what about all the crazy charismatics and whatever? And you know, maybe some of you are crazy charismatics. And I love crazy charismatics, right? And they have done a good job of bringing back the role of the Holy Spirit. And much of what they teach is right and true and good. That the Holy Spirit uh, brings his gifts and brings to us a certain encounter, real-life encounter with God that we need, right? And I believe in those things. I uphold uh, and you can debate with me this later, but I, I do believe the gifts are, have not ceased. They're, they're ongoing, right? And certainly the, the work of the Holy Spirit is ongoing. But even in that movement with the Charismatics and, and the Pentecostals, that movement, the focus is not the revealing work of the, of the Spirit. It's the gifting work of the Spirit. And they, they too, I think, have lost and, and missed this important principle that we need the Holy Spirit to reveal to us truth. Um, so what do we do with this? Well, um, two things. Uh, first, I think we need to confess pride in our life that, that we believe this message of the world that I'm smart enough to figure this out. Um, it's, it's, it's an arrogance, right, that says, uh, I'm on a plane with God, right? I, I can think God's thoughts. I can understand God's thoughts. I don't need his help because I'm smart enough to, to be right up there with God. Right? It's pride. And I think we need to confess, we need to start at this place and say, God, uh, uh, forgive me that I have assumed... I could, I could be at your level, right? Because we can't. Uh, and we need to see that our, our independence, our, our, our sense that we can do this on our own is a stubborn pride that doesn't come from God. Okay? Uh, then secondly, I think we need to intentionally seek his, the empowering help of the Spirit to know truth to know truth, to know Jesus, to understand the Bible, and to know how God wants to apply it to our life. Um, that we never just use Bible study methods alone, right? They were always seeking the empowering of the Holy Spirit to give us true insight into the full meaning of Scripture. Uh, so how can you know if this is working in your life uh, or not working? Well, here's a simple test. Throughout the, 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 throughout the Christmas narrative, the Holy Spirit is always pointing people to Jesus. Right? His, re his re revealing work is ultimately to reveal Jesus. As you study Scripture and as you, as you go through life, as you seek the revealing work of the Scripture, uh, we will know it's working when we start seeing Jesus everywhere. Right? We start seeing Jesus everywhere. And here's one of the reasons I know that we're missing it. Far too many people study the Bible, and what they get out of the Bible is nice advice for living life, right? It's kind of like Martha, Martha Stewart for Christians, you know. 
gives you nifty little helps, nifty little bits of advice to live life. Um, The Bible is so much more than that. It does give you that. It does. It's practical. It does give you wisdom to live life. But if that's all Scripture is and you are missing Jesus, you do not know the truth. Right? You do not know the truth. Uh, I just am amazed, you know, when Jesus, when Mary, this picture, when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus into the temple, and Simeon, out of all the priests and all the scribes and Pharisees and religious people, Simeon alone saw the Messiah had come, right? And so many people read the Bible, they go to this spiritual book day after day after day, and they do not see Jesus. It's because you, you are lacking the enlightening work of the Holy Spirit, right? How you know this is working is when you start seeing Jesus permeated through Scripture and the work of the Gospel and what He is doing in and through your life from Genesis to Revelation. Right? Uh, that's proof that the Holy Spirit is enlightening you. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.